I don't know how many of you have heard someone shout out, ready or not, here I come. And you know what's happening, right? You're playing hide and seek. I played hide and seek uh, with my sister playing against me once. She was good. I was to find a cousin of mine, and she would hide the cousin once was on a shelf with boxes all packed around it. I could never find it. Then it was my turn to hide. You know, I was obvious right there. But we looked for the coming of Jesus Christ. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And we look forward to that. The coming of Jesus is called Advent. We have two Advents in Scripture. There's one that we celebrate in a few weeks, the, the advent of Jesus who came as a child, became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, lived in our midst. And at Christmas, we celebrate the Jesus who came to redeem us. We also look forward to another advent, a second advent, when Jesus will come and redeem his people for all time and for all places. Restored back to the Eden that was lost so long ago. But we are living between two Advents. Between a first Advent of Christmas and the Advent of the Second Coming. Karl Barth, I was surprised to read this, called that the in-between times. We are living in the between times, between the advents. And so what do we do within that particular context? Our text today, for this first Sabbath of the Advent season, comes from Matthew 24. As Adventists, that strikes at our heart. This is a clarion call. This is what we are about. It gives us the encouragement, the hope of a coming Jesus. But within the context, and you have the scripture, I encourage you to use it as we look through it. We have within this a context that Matthew is writing to a group of people that are Jewish Christians. We're not sure whether they're part of the dispersion already, probably in Turkey of today's Turkey that he's writing to, um, they're wondering if in the context of their Jewish heritage, who is Jesus? What is Jesus about? What do we know about him? Since he is writing to a Jewish community, he uses the language and the um, uh, teachings that they would understand. It opens with a genealogy the first person on the genealogy is Abraham. Jesus finds his ancestry in Abraham himself. He is Jewish. There's David the king, and there are others that have come along the line. We find Jesus coming out of Egypt. Remember? The wise men that came, they fled to Egypt for protection. 
Egypt was where the children of Israel came out of. And Matthew has structured his teachings so that there are five discourses, in a sense, paralleling the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Our chapters today are in the fifth discourse that Jesus gives. In the thinking of Matthew, it appears that Jesus is a new Moses or a second Moses, giving new understanding to things. The first discourse, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount, with the Beatitudes, with a call for perfection, ending with a wise man and the foolish man that build their respective houses. The second has to do with travel. The disciples are sent out to travel and to teach. A discourse is given on that in chapter 10. Chapter 13, you have a series of parables that are part of Christ's teaching. In chapter 18, Jesus talks about community. And now in 23, 24, and 25, Jesus' longest teaching is talking about last day things. It begins with a confrontation between the Pharisees, the scribes, and they're all called hypocrites. They're called whited sepulchers. They're called a brood of snakes. Not nice language. And in frustration, where we pick up in our first verse in our text here, Jesus laments what is happening. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And it's kind of interesting what he says here. He says, How often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. And then he adds, Your house is left to you desolate. Strong language. Indeed, very strong language. There's something interesting in here. As almost a sidelight, I'd like you to note. He's talking about the temple. The temple is about to be left desolate. Where do you see wings in the temple? On the, in the sanctuary of old, they were sketched on the drapes that were hanging around there uh, with gold thread. But where do you see th- wings? Isn't it in the most holy place? And you see the angels that cover the mercy seat. The mercy seat where we meet God that protects those that come for mercy. It's an allusion to the temple here. But because of your attitude, because you do not allow mercy to take place, your house is left desolate. And he leaves. The disciples tag along. They find themselves on the Mount of Olives, which is an interesting parallel to the first discourse where Jesus is at the Sermon on the Mount. He says, there's coming a day when not one of these stones will be left upon another. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The disciples, in this case, come to him and say, when will this happen? And what will be the sign? 
This is in verse 3 of chapter 24. When and what is our question. Jesus rattles off a number of things that will take place. And it is though we are reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And we're seeing what matches up are these signs. We hear about earthquakes that will happen and wars, rumors of war, pestilence, famines. You name it, it's there. Gruesome, horrible stuff that will take place. But then you have the words, this is going to happen. But the end is not yet. It isn't those things that are the signs of the end, Jesus is saying. I can remember looking at this and discovering the disciples asking for a sign. And I asked myself the question, where do I truly see the sign? Is it the gospel going to all the world as a witness? Is it the people that are fleeing around Jerusalem when they came to surround the city of Jerusalem and destroyed it and overtook the temple and destroyed the temple? Is that the sign? And if you look down through the text, you do find signs. It isn't in these newspaper items that we have held up for so long. But it was amazing to me to discover it was in the surprise, ready or not, here I come, announcement that Matthew 24 gives. You need to turn the page on your document if you're following it. It's in verse 30. After all of these things, finally Jesus uses a word sign. Jesus says, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. Then the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Did you catch what happened here? We want a sign. What are the signs? It's not famines and earthquakes. It's not wars and rumors of war. It's not the tumult that we see. These things happen. These things take place. The amazing thing that I discovered for myself is that the sign of the coming of Jesus Christ was heavens depart as a scroll. Surprise, I'm here. And in our scripture of today, Jesus uses the illustration of the flood. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. They will be eating, they will be drinking, they will be getting married, and they will be giving in marriage. Right up until the very day the flood came. They were unaware, totally unaware of what was happening around them. Surprise. Jesus says, I'm here. Jesus continues to speak to this issue. He adds several other things here. He says, of that day or the hour, you don't know. Now, you know, as Adventists, we have a rich history in looking for the coming of Jesus, of actually setting a time back 
what, almost 150 years ago? Almost, it's coming up on almost 200 years. Some of us will celebrate the 200th anniversary of that expecting of the expectation of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And we look back and we've used these texts over and over again and saying, the coming of Jesus is soon. I can remember a lady in our church who told me that she didn't expect to live until Jesus came at that particular point. She had kind of lost hope. She says, as a kid, I never expected to get married. I never did. I thought Jesus would come that quick. Or I never expected to have children, never expected to finish school, never expected to retire. And she was sick, very sick, dying in fact. And she said to me, Jesus is coming soon. But how soon is soon? It's a conundrum. And when the text tells us no one knows the day nor the hour, the angels, not even Jesus himself, when he spoke these words, it's only in the heart and the hands of God. Now we excused it as Adventists. We set a time because it said day nor hour. But we do know the month of the year, maybe. And I don't know how many times over the years that I have pastored that I've had letters, epistles come over my desk, more pages than this, handwritten in a scroll that is urgent, predicting a particular day, a month, a year, a time that Jesus is coming, and you've got to be ready, and those dates have come and gone. So what do we do? In the next two parables in the text, the stories in the text, talks about a guy, if he knew when the robber was going to come into his house. Those houses were mud, uh, brick. He would dig into the house, come in, break in, in a sense, uh, that he would have stayed awake and watched for it. Therefore, Jesus says, watch and be ready, because you know not when the Son of Man is coming. There's a, one of the master that goes away and leaves the slaves in charge. He says, blessed is the slave. This is verse uh, 46. Blessed is the slave whose master, when he returns, finds him at work when he arrives then it talks about the other slaves that are not working and are not serving the master who say the Lord has delayed. And we're dealing with the issue of delay. So here we are today in this between the times and what do we do? We are the church of God in this community. What do we do as the church of God? What are our responsibilities as God's church? What do we do as a people of God facing a delay that is coming? What are our responsibilities? How do we become and continue to be church in this place?
Now, you're well between pastors. David Oseguera left three months ago. I'm leaving today, my last Sabbath with you. What do you do as a community of faith? What are your responsibilities? How are you God's church here? First of all, do not lose hope that Jesus will come again. But so often we live in that hope in the future. And we live so strongly in that hope that we fail to live in the now, in the today. So Jesus is answering in chapter 25 what the church is to do when there's a delay. What the church is to do in the here and now. What the church is, how the church is to act in those things. And so there's a parable of the bridesmaids, ten of them. You know it well. They have gathered for a wedding and the bridegroom is delayed. They have their lamps and others have torches and they are waiting at the bride's house for the bridegroom to come and to take the bride to his house and they are going to march with them with their lamps and with their torches to the celebration. Now we know the groom in apocalyptic thinking, is Jesus. This is a second coming. He's delayed. And we know that the bridesmaids go to sleep. I have a little quandary here. You know, you have the good bridesmaids and the bad bridesmaids. We've always tended to think it was the bad ones that slept and the good ones that stayed awake. But if you look at the text, they all slept. So if you fall asleep, you know, the good ones and the bad ones did it, both together. They all slept. Then the announcement came that the bridegroom is coming. Five had enough oil. Five did not. They asked to borrow it. There wasn't enough to share. They had to go out to the market to buy some, and when they came back, the procession had gone its way. They had gone into the celebration, and they were left outside. The lamp is a reference that is used frequently in Scripture. We find it in the Psalms. We report, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The lamp is a word of God that helps us to understand the things of God. But it is a light. It is a light that allows us to travel, to move, to grow. A light, a lamp that allows us to be God's church. It's interesting that this is Jesus' last discourse. And as his last discourse, we relate back to the first one, where it talks about cities and lamps, that you don't put a lamp under a bushel, a basket. It is not affected. And we discover that the lamp 
that shines out, which radiates the light of God, is an indication, I feel, of our witness as Christ's people. And so these bridesmaids, representing all of us, have a lamp which is a witness. And I believe as a church, in the between times of the Advents, we are called, each of us, to witness. Do you see that there? It is encouraging that we are to witness. And this is what the church is about. The next parable is about a man that goes off on a long journey. And he takes his resources, it's in the form of talents, and he gives them to three of his servants. He gives one five, another two, another one. So eight talents all together that he gives for their keeping. Uh, we have applied talents to our abilities. We have a lot of talented ukulele players here in our church. A talent that we, we have. Some may have a talent to sing or to play musical instruments. Some may have a talent to talk with people and share the good news about Jesus Christ. Talents in certain abilities of service um, that we are given, that we experience. But we all have talents. But in this particular case, talents represented money. It was like a talent of gold. It weighed a certain amount, and it represented a certain amount of riches. One talent represented 6,000 days of a person's wage. So you calculate that out. That's significant. That was just one talent. And here's eight of them. One talent was the equivalent of 15 to 20 years of what a person would earn in working in that time. And it would compensate, in a sense, to our time today. That meant the person that got five talents got the equivalent of a century of wages. So you get the idea of how enormous this amount is. And these represented the resources of the owner to whom they served. A very, very significant amount. As you know, two of them doubled the amount. One of them hid it in a safe place and presented it back just the way he got it. He was a bad guy. He was the one that was separated from the group. The others were praised. His talent went to another. But I'd like you to think of these talents as resources. And I wondered what the resources of God were. When God created in Eden, he gave people dominion over his creation. God created and said, all this is good. Now, you first people have responsibility for what is created. And you begin to think of the resources that our planet has. 
and sometimes the attitudes that we have had towards these resources. We had dominion. We had responsibility to see that these resources were handled with care. What could these be? Everything from people to things that we use, the lumber, the oil, the air we breathe, the other animals, the birds, the fish, the water. I think all of this is a part of what God created and are the resources that God has given to us and to his church. What are these resources? These are the resources that are given to us to care for. I have often heard people say that we are not going to look after, it doesn't matter whether we look after, uh, um, you name the resources, the land that we have. Because at the second coming, it's all going to burn up anyway. If we use it, expend it, it doesn't matter. The end is near, Jesus is coming, soon will happen. We do not need to take care of it. But I would like to suggest that one thing the church is responsible for between the times is to take care of the resources God has given to us. To respect those resources, whether they be other animals, people, minerals, water, whatever it is, as a church of God in this place, I think we're called to speak regarding those things that God has given us to take care of. We come to the last parable, which is probably the most interesting. And might I underscore, this is, in Matthew's writing here, this is the last teaching of Jesus. There's no more teaching beyond, behind this. There's the um, setting up of the Lord's Supper, giving it to us as a remembrance that we use to this day. We can lift the emblems from the table and we can say, until Jesus comes, we celebrate what he has done for us. But these are the last words. He does not teach again. The very last words, this gospel is to go to the world as a witness. Go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching all to observe all things. We are called to do that. But these are the last words in teaching. The end of the last discourse of Jesus. And it talks about people that are hungering, that are thirsting, that are in prison, that are naked and are clothed. And what is interesting in this is that that particular list is repeated three times. Three times. And because of that repetition, so much real estate is used in teaching this. Because of that great amount of real estate, it has significance for us even today. 
So Jesus tells the story. Judgment comes. Those that are be judged are separated into two groups. There's a sheep and the goats. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? I have goats. I might be more a goat than a sheep uh, because I have them. I have about a half a dozen of them. But um, they clear our properties where we, where we put them. Um, very, very inexpensive lawnmowers. They actually eat poison oak. Did you know that? Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing uh, for us. But they're divided, the people, into the sheep and the goats. And the distinction is made on the basis of what they did. Now, I've already told you that salvation is political. Salvation has to do with who you know and not what you do. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have redemption. But it seems that Matthew is turning this a little bit. No, you're a part of the sheep if you take care of the hungry. You're a part of the saved if you clothe the naked. You're a part of the redeemed if you go to prison and visit me. Do you catch that? What this is, I believe, is the fact that we are redeemed truly in Jesus Christ. We are redeemed on the basis of who we know. But because we know Jesus, it affects our life. And it becomes natural for us to do these things. Because we are redeemed, we can do these things knowing that they don't redeem us. But that we are sharing in the heart of God for the care of God's resources and in this particular part, the resources are people. And so the Lord in the judgment says to the sheep, you did this. And the sheep said, when did we do this? And the response, if you've done this to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the list is repeated again, to the goats. And if you had done this to the least of me, least of these you had done it unto me, but you did not. And so the way we respond to other people is important for us in being a part of the kingdom of God. Do you catch that there? And so in that in-between times, between the advents, we are called to do this. To respond clearly what the kingdom of God is about. It's about people coming together. It is so basic, friends. We're to love God. We're to love people. And we are to be kind. This is a role of the church. 
So here in quick succession, you have two pastors leaving you. Don't sit back and be frustrated and say, what do we do as a church? You have your, your direction. Not so much to be concerned about the soonness or the nearness of the coming of Jesus Christ. That will happen. Jesus will come again. But we can't live at that particular time. We must live today in present time in the reality of the kingdom of God which is among us. That the kingdom of God that we pray will come, will not only come in heaven, but it will come to earth. And we are part of that. And the settings of dates and times, the anxiety over a second coming is taken away from us. And there's a calls for us throughout this passage. Do not follow the false messiahs, the false prophets, the teachers that are taking you away from what the truth of God is all about. And as a church, we are called, number one, to witness. That means we understand the word of God. We see this in the bridesmaids. Number two, to take care of all of God's resources. How vast and great they are. We have a responsibility to take care of those resources as best we can. And then to look after people. People that are disenfranchised, that are hurting, that are on the sidelines of life itself. Not so much looking just after people, but even helping to resolve some of those issues that put people in that place. It is a role of Christians. It is a role of the church in that in-between time of the advents to serve God in that capacity. And who knows, soon Jesus will appear at a time we do not expect. Uh, maybe just around the corner today. And he comes to us as a hungry person. Or someone who is sick and needs help. Or naked who needs clothed to be clothed. Someone who needs to be encouraged to sit with. It is this role that God has called you as a church to do. Love God. Love others. And be kind.